All right, Miles. Scary story time. Go ahead. Pull up a little stump next to this fire. I'm going to throw some uh, some powder of some kind. I assure you it is perfectly legal, uh, obtained in the most legal of circumstances. Uh, but when this powder goes off, oh, man, you better believe this flame is going to be huge. All right. Now, here we go. Submitted for the approval of the more you nerd. Wait, we're actually in the scary story this time. We're not just telling the story. The story's actually happening. Oh, no, we're talking about the 2019 reboot of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Hello, everybody, and welcome to your new favorite podcast. My name is Drew. I am joined by my good buddy, Miles. Here we are in the spooky, spooky times of the month of October in the year of 2021. Miles, how are you, buddy? I mean, like every Halloween, I'm doing great. This is my time. And we are talking about something we've kind of talked about before when we did Nick Vember. Uh, in terms of are you afraid of the dark? But we're talking about something that I, I I am very very passionate about this this franchise and this IP. And even though last year during Trunk or Treat I wanted to avoid some of the bigger names, when I was fasting this this month to skew a little bit older than last year, I kept coming back to this specific title. And so I'm I'm really excited to to get into this. Now, Drew, I know we've talked about this before, but give give viewers a little bit of history on your relationship with Are You For The Dark. Last yeah. last week, I know you made a joke about that was when you turned off Snick. Yes, that's that is an accurate thing to say. So uh, we should probably talk about Are You Afraid of the Dark in case this is your first time checking us out or, or you have missed our previous episodes. Are You Afraid of the Dark was a a TV series that aired in the United States on the Nickelodeon channel uh, as part of its Snick lineup. It's Saturday Night Nick that was aimed at a slightly older demographic. It's where Clarissa explains it all came from and uh, uh, Roundhouse, the show Roundhouse that no one remembers but me. Uh, oh, I remember Roundhouse. Uh, but but the, every every Saturday they ended the night uh, and it was probably like 930. I don't remember when the, the time it actually it was, aired. Was. It was nine or nine thirty. I can't remember which. So and but the, the final thing of the night when all the the kitties were in bed or were supposed to be in bed, that's when they aired their their. I, w- I would call one of the outside of Goosebumps, one of the most iconic franchises or, or, or properties in kid horror definitely 100 percent. you can hear us talk a lot about this show and the history of the show uh in our nick vimber episode from golly is that three years ago now two years ago yeah although i, I almost want to do nick vimber again just because i have i have such warm memories of doing that i know longtime listeners if they're still out there will be like yeah i'm gonna skip that month but yeah you know, you it's know, fine. I kind of want to go through Pete and Pete again. <laughs> Look, that Pete and Pete's a fantastic show. And if they ever put it easily available, I will do an episode by episode watch through of that show. It'll be called. Oh, oh, we will do a a, a Patreon and Patreon. It, 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 uh, will, it, it will be called 
Miles and Pete and Drew and Pete and Pete. <laughs> and that's what we'll call the show. Uh, this is just spoilers for a future thing that we're going to do anyway. Uh, but <laughs> but the thing about this show that was so iconic for me is that the and I'm again, this is rehashing information. The opening theme song, and I even brought this up last week. The opening theme song was one of the scariest things to watch. It was all in black and white, and it had this very iconic it's like ah, ah. It, it is legitimately one of the scariest things in kids horror was the that opening it's kind of like not seeing something like what you imagine the episode following that theme song was was always 10 times worse to what them than how scary the episode was but that just the imagery everything they did and there's an alternate version of that theme song that does not work uh, that you can hunt down. That's just plain old wacky and whimsical. And I'm send glad they didn't go that way. Send that to me after we're done recording. I would like to see that. Uh, so sure. in, in any case, that show went off the air. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Uh, back 2000, in, I think. Initially. Yeah, it was much later than I expected. It, yeah. So there was the first run that was from 91 to 96. Then yes. they brought it back 99 to 2000 for a season or two. And so then we here we are almost 20 years later with a, a three part uh, mini movie series. Uh, they ended up doing this again in 2021 with a different cast. We'll get into that. Uh, so so this, this, the Midnight Society 20, uh, the Are You Afraid of the Dark uh, subtitle, because this has a subtitle because it's all associated with each other. Carnival of Doom. And that is yes. what we're going to talk about. What does a a an Are You Afraid of the Dark show look like in 2019? Effectively today. I mean, there are oh. there are there are smartphones in this. <laughs> they reference Google oh. a lot. <laughs> all all three episodes because this is a three episode miniseries. Each episode's about forty to forty five minutes in length. Uh, all episodes were uh, written by showrunner Ben David Grabinski. And all three episodes were directed by Dean Israelite, who you might be familiar with as the director of the 2017 Power Rangers film. Interesting. So for it's funny because uh, Grabinski was someone I had been following on Twitter uh, for a while. And then when he announced this, I was I was kind of pleasantly surprised. And we're not going to, again, do a deep, deep dive. But I did want to take something for an inter from an interview that does have something to do with the theme of this month. Uh, and the interview was with a uh, comics beat, which is an online magazine. And the, and the, the uh, interviewer asks in terms of horror for younger audiences on what the limits are for a YA audience, or if there should be any limits in the first place, there's a dividing line for some as to what's appropriate and what isn't. I'm thinking more along the lines of scary stories that tell in the dark movie and how it managed to keep things scary and even dangerous, considering it's mostly happening to kids. What's your take on what YA horror should be? And Gravinsky answers, it's something I had to think about, but not from the perspective of what's safe and what isn't. It was more about keeping in mind the audience's intended age and whether the message could resonate with them. I remember thinking of the time I watched Batman Returns as a kid. There was a lot of talk on what shouldn't be put into a Happy Meal and if the movie was even appropriate for kids. And then I think I was self-aware for that. For Are You For The Dark, I think nihilism just isn't always the best route. Don't tell a kid at a formative age that the world is a terrible place and that the bad guys are going to win. 
In our case, we wanted the idea that a, that good could triumph over evil, and that kids will make some deep connections with each other. Uh, when you watch when you watch kids horror, you get you get the part where the kids put the pieces of the puzzle together and stop evil from winning, mostly in some supernatural scenario. With adults, you get the first two parts, but in the last fifteen minutes of the film, you see the bad elements aren't entirely destroyed, and surprise, we're all going to die. That's the idea behind Final Destination, which made it hilarious, to be honest, and with many of the other slasher movies out there as well. You can't take that approach with 10-year-olds, because you don't want them to get jaded and think everything is screwed up. Look, the easiest way to think about it is, if it happened in a Harry Potter movie, then it's okay. Really, those are a good barometer for how dark we could get for a long time, and it helped give me a peace of mind for working on Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I think that's a really good take in approaching horror for kids, because it's, for, it's the very same reason that we talked about last week as to why horror for kids resonated with us. Now, some of those things that we talked about and some of the episodes of the original show did have unhappy endings, but they were more kind of comic book stingers than super depressing. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting especially thinking about uh uh the movie we watched last week, Night Books. Uh I think about Hansel and Gretel. I've been thinking about Hansel and Gretel a lot and all of those old fairy tales. Uh you know, any uh, was Hansel and Gretel Grimm's um I don't I don't know if those Grimm's I, I, or not. I, I can't remember, I can't remember but, but, they, but they but they Grimm's as well. I mean, even the, the pre-Grimm's versions of those stories were all stories to scare children into doing the thing that their parents are telling them to do like right do this or a monster will come and eat you <laughs> which is a very right. it's, it's a very uh it's a very 16th century german way of thinking i guess but uh but but that's but it's interesting to see that reflected in both that and this that you have effectively very similar kids uh, the, the kid from uh, from from night books would have fit very well with the Midnight Society because he seems oh, he would have probably been a founding member. <laughs> yeah, uh, but let's get into the way that they laid this out. So we have three episodes. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, the first episode submitted for your for the approval of the Midnight Society. Uh, we are introduced to our main character, who is Rachel, and she is new to town. It's this little town in Oregon, which I'm not sure if they ever established that the Midnight Society was in Oregon before. I don't know. I I don't know if they ever did or not. But again, if it's any town USA, uh, the Pacific Northwest actually works really, really well. So I'm super into it. Also, the town was called Argent- Argento, Oregon, which is named after famed horror director Dario Argento. And Rachel is headed off to her. She is she's woken up from a nightmare that she is having about this character uh, called Mr. Top Hat. And I'm going to be honest, Mr. Top Hat, not the not the best name. I don't really like the name. Mr. Top Hat. Is that a name? I want to pause on that a second, because this is something that has been prevalent in the last decade, especially with the the kind of popularity of creepypasta that these really silly names are typically given to extremely terrifying characters like slender man yeah slender man is a dumb name 
but I actually I'm actually okay with Slender Man because it, it I mean, evokes it, it, something it's fine. But um, I mean, even when we were talking about um, or we didn't talk about it, but even when you had uh, the Haunting of Hill House, and you had the the the, uh, the bent neck lady. You know, you always have like the blank blank. Well, and, and but well, 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 I do agree that Mr. Top Hat isn't the best name. I, I kind of see why they went the, the way they did. So this is where I will also say that. Do I also think that Mr. Top Hat would be a name that a scared middle school student would come up with? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> so, like the Carnival of Doom. Ooh, but that is very much a, <laughs> a carnival name for a scary place that someone that is young would come up with. Um, I also like I mean, I, I was uh, telling this to, to Drew uh, before we started recording and he didn't seem to care. But I I mentioned this to, to Renier last week and I love that Mr. Top Hat looks like Brendan Urey from Panic of the Disco in the I Write Sins video because it is hilarious to me because I feel like younger viewers, especially when you had the emo revival that happened uh, amongst that age group in 2019, they would probably be very aware of that specific costume. And uh, especially also uh, um, the greatest showman was was kind of popping at the time. So it's, yeah, I was going to say it looks a little bit more like P.T. Barnum to me, but that's a. Uh... Well, I mean, that's 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 what that video is going for, too. But yeah. I I like the, this cold open where you, we see the kind of nightmare that Rachel is having, because I think it immediately establishes that it's a little bit more self-serious than, than the, the, the the series was before. And it's got a little bit more of a production budget. Yes, the production value is pretty good in this in this show. Yeah, uh, it's, it's good. I guess that's what you can do in 2019 when you only make three of them. But uh, so at this first episode, we are basically being introduced to all of our cast members. We are meeting Rachel. We are meeting uh, Graham Graham, who is the the has maybe one of the best intro sequences of of a character that I've seen um, in a long time. I I love that they gave him the anti big or, or plus size kid intro they gave him the opposite of that and i love that for him he, he's always wearing t-shirts there was one i couldn't make out what it said but it said somebody for president um and i i missed what it, i wasn't paying attention at the time it was most certainly a horror reference <laughs> i am very certain it was i mean he's he's wearing a t-shirt that says watch horror movies which is what gets uh him and rachel talking and all of a sudden he's like oh you like horror movies You've seen The Changeling, which I'm assuming is a very specific horror movie that I have heard the it title is. of and have certainly seen, but can't remember a thing about uh, because I've definitely 100% seen it. So don't bother telling us to watch it for the show. Um, anyway, uh, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a very good movie. And then all of a sudden you see him start to run around and talk to this person and that person. It's like, oh, oh, yeah. OK, OK. And they start leaving these notes inside Rachel's locker, which is very cool. Uh, the production value for these notes. <laughs> who's making these and who's breaking into that locker to put these wax sealed wax. notes. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> like they're they're typed out on aged paper. It's like, come on. That's so funny. Um, and, but, and, yeah, but again, horror, horror theater geeks would would totally do something that like that. I think that's what's so great about this or any rendition of the Midnight Society is those kind of kids would be that extra. Yes, 100%. All of this reads extremely well. Uh, and, and of course, they take her uh, in what I think is maybe the 
the most fun reference to the original They're t- they they tell her to go out to the woods and she's walking in the woods uh using this map alone in the middle of the night she's got to meet them at midnight at this place and there mm-hmm. are references here and there to the opening credits of the original show there's like a swing set that's swinging and there's a boat mm-hmm. just bobbing in the water and i appreciated that as someone who changed the channel immediately watching that every time um or seeing it, how it was far cool I to see them kind of go through what because there aren't there are no um there's not a title sequence in this one. You get a little bit of a, a a remix flourish of the theme song and about maybe 10 seconds of, you know, Are You For The Dark and some credits and that's it. Oh, there's some there's definitely credits because you see the figures walking through the woods and you see like you. I definitely yeah, you had get about 10. You get you get about 10 seconds. It's like 30 seconds because I, I definitely had to hit the, the the 10 seconds forward at least twice on uh on Paramount Plus. <laughs> But anyway, uh, so she is and uh, so the Midnight Society is gathered there and they've got these creepy masks that look like kind of cracked stone facades. They're they're very cool little doll looking masks. Uh, I was I was a fan of them. Creepy doll Um, masks. That's exactly what they are. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly it. Uh, And they and they basically tell her uh, she needs to come back the next night prepared to tell them a scary story. And yeah, you get 24 hours and that's it. <laughs> um, this is where I have my first problem with the movie, with the with the series. Okay. That's a school night, Miles. They're sneaking out to do this on multiple <laughs> school nights. I'm sorry, uh, Drew, Drew, you cannot think about this as a parent. You got to think sorry? about this as as when <laughs> as being a child. Uh, part uh, part two that bothers me about this. She just opens her window. She doesn't close it behind her. Anything could get in that window. She's sneaking out. Oh, man. I mean, this this is this is um, kind of standard. There's a lot of good stuff for as well as they play some of the horror. They do a lot of good stuff to kind of ground this as uh, definitely a show for the age group. Um, There's always a couple of things that are are a little melodramatic. There's a scene on Rachel's first day where she's trying to figure out where she wants to sit for lunch. And, you know, people are covering up their seat unconsciously and and doing all this kind of orchestrated stuff that would never, ever happen in real life. life. But what we all what we all expected from every bit of middle school and high school media when you're the new kid at school that no one's going to want to sit with me. Exactly. And so there's stuff like that that I think is just overdone just enough to continue to ground this as a kid series. And I think it's all it's it's like we talked about with Nightbooks um, last week. It's always good to have those moments pop up because it it kind of keeps everything paced well so that's not you don't want the kids to be scared the entire time. Exactly. So. Basically, she tells the story, and so she's she 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 comes back the next night. She tells the story of Mister Top Hat and the Carnival of Doom, and she does the she's handed the bag of powder and she throws it and it flames up and it's really fun to see. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. And I I'm a, I'm a little disappointed. I will say the one my one my one criticism. I'm a little disappointed in her reaction. Wasn't a little bit more impressed. <laughs> And and so we are told this story about uh, this Mr. Top Hat who lures people into the carnival and 
and then uh, oh, you know scary stuff happens but it's all part of the show it's all part of the show uh but even in the end he kidnaps people and the t- and the carnival disappears without a trace the very next day and no one can remember it was there which yes um which so, is very fun that's a very very fun thing and what's what's really really fun is at the end of her story you 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 find the circus is coming to town and a kid named Adam, who was the the person that Rachel sat with at lunch the very first day, disappears, uh, which which gives me kind of some subtle. The beginning of it vibes. Uh, specifically, the 91 miniseries, but I think there's a very similar beginning in uh, the 2018 version as well, but just like a kid is disappearing and just kind of this small town kind of reacting to it. Um, one thing that I, I did enjoy about this episode was how it introduces us to all of the kids. Um, cause we haven't spent a ton of time with them yet. Um, but I also love that all of the kids and, and if you are, if you were the age group that is watching, are you afraid of the dark? You might just be getting into some horror films. And so these names aren't going to seem super on the nose so rachel's last name is carpenter after john carpenter the director of halloween uh gavin's last name which they do show in the show uh as part of the missing persons poster his last name is coscarelli after don coscarelli who made phantasm uh the worst to me worst offender to me is graham ramey named <laughs> after sam ramey <laughs> i appreciate that one so so yeah well, it's it's great <laughs> so let's introduce the rest of the cast of the midnight society so we've got rachel we've talked about That's her what i was doing <laughs> i know well we, we, we're telling their names we're not telling about them they're their their character archetype so uh so we've got uh, uh graham who's like the 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 heftier kid who is germaphobic and is always hitting his hands with hand sanitizer which is very appropriate in 2020 2021 yeah, but not it, quite it, as it's appropriate. real different now <laughs> yeah it's, it's very funny to watch that happen um but he is also the one that is way into horror movies and is very out out with his his things that he likes you've got louise who is uh by all intents a popular girl. She's a cheerleader, a cheerleader and doesn't want to be seen at school with Graham because she, we we learned later has, has had, uh, some different, uh, past stuff that she has tried to get behind and has become popular as a big plan that she's had, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They also talk about her, like her prior, like unpopularity. I think if I, if I heard correctly, her name used to be Loseries. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it is something that kid would come up with, but it's also drastically dumb. Yeah, it's um, real bad. I'll be honest, that never landed to me because I continually forgot that her name was Louise. <laughs> but that's my fault. <laughs> that's not that's not. Uh, uh, so beyond that, we've got Akiko, who is uh, she's a filmmaker, but she's like a legit filmmaker she's making movies she's got a set she's got a crew she's got uh, special effects um and she's she's very clearly a parody of someone who i mean uh so ben david gravinsky has spent time as director's assistants and stuff so i can tell that that's like they're just putting some of the bad characteristics uh of a lot of directors just kind of as a caricature for akiko Akiko might be my favorite character. She cracks me up. She's she's sassy. She's very fun. Um, and uh, she also has a brother uh, who is uh, a member of the local police force. 
Uh, so Argent's one of Argent's finest uh, that she uh, snidely talks to him about. And then last but not least, we've got Gavin that we mentioned, Coscarelli, who is Rachel's handsome next door neighbor uh, and who surprises her as being a part of the Midnight Society because surely someone so handsome could never be in this <laughs> spooky stuff. I love when he introduces himself uh, when they move in and... <laughs> The, the mom rachel's mom cracks me up she, rachel's mom has zero chill she has no, no. chill whatsoever <laughs> like, rachel rachel say something to the boy <laughs> yeah and it's not just say something to him say something to the boy like it's very very like that that felt like a mom from the 1990s talking about stuff <laughs> It did. I mean, there, she is so freaking funny and her lack of self-awareness makes her even better, especially when she meets Gavin's dad. <laughs> we'll get to Gavin's Ooh. dad. I, I don't yeah. want to I, I don't want to spoil Gavin's dad just yet. But uh, <laughs> but so 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 they, of course, they they find out that Adam, who was this other kid that Rachel has met, who tried to help her open her locker and who she thought was Adam's a, last name. No, nope. you know, this director. Adam Lynch. Huh. <laughs> like it, it was very clearly having fun. So that if you're an adult, you're catching if it was if you're an adult horror fan, you're catching these things, but it's still playing really, really well to the kids. So so but but this is where I really loved this first episode. And then I knew I I, I knew this was going to happen. Uh, I, I think because I had heard it was going to happen, but then when it actually happened, I gotta say, I was a little disappointed. But also, I I shouldn't have expected anything differently, and that's the Midnight Society was always telling stories, but the mm -hmm. stories were not real. And as we learn at the end of the first episode and into the second and third, they're not just telling the story of of Mister Top Hat and the Carnival of Doom. They're now living the story of Mr. Top Hat and the Carnival of Doom. And I, I don't think I like that as much. I like that I get to learn more about the Midnight Society members and they become more characters because I feel like that was something that was lacking in the original shows, all, both versions of them that came before this. The kids were kind of just there for a couple of minutes, but the story that they were telling was really the main story of the episode. So you never you got attached to some of them, but not really, in my opinion. I don't know. You might have a different take on that. So it, it, it's it's I, I can understand that. I, I was actually very, very excited that the Midnight Society themselves were the actual protagonists. Um, the background of this. This specific miniseries was that for a handful of years, uh, parent or Nickelodeon was gearing up to release a, a theatrical Are You Afraid of the Dark movie? That was at one point rumored to be written by the screenwriter of it. Um, I don't know if that ever actually came to fruition or if uh, Grabinski uh, took that role and and went further. So when this was they, they never spoke of the movie again after a certain time period. And I believe Dean Israelite was supposed to be the director. So. I think what happened was they took the concept of an Are You Afraid of the Dark movie and split it into three chapters. And and this is what we got so that 
for it being different as a as as a feature film, you would the twist would be that the Midnight Society is living the story for sure. I mean, that that is when it comes to something like this. And again, this is three episodes of a continuing story. It makes more dramatic sense to do it this way unless you're telling a really long story that's really involved, right. but they're not going to do it that way because that that's just, it's not, it, it, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have done it the way that it happened here. But part of me is a little like, I don't know. It feels different in a way that I don't know is necessarily the best thing, but Hey, this turned out pretty good. So I don't know. What, what are you going to do? I also think for, for me personally, I always wanted to spend more time with the midnight society. As I said last week, that was kind of, what I always wanted from a friend group. And so getting to see these kids live out kind of that best dream was was really, really fun for me. Um, I remember kind of live tweeting this when it when it initially came out. And so I I I was super, super into the idea that this specific story was about the Midnight Society. If this had turned into a series, I would have liked for them to, from here on out, go to back to telling stories. Yeah, I think. Did they do that for the for the most recent 2021 release did they that is, haven't seen I, i'm gonna I, you know it, they call it they call it the curse of shadows i'm going to guess that i'm assuming it's about shadow people again which was a subject matter that are you for the dark did really enjoy i'm looking it's like i see a storyteller in the first episode and then i see no storyteller in the following episodes so i think i think that might be the case uh, i don't know yeah, the 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 um the 2021 version is I think six episodes, and I just they kind of surprised everyone and and just I think because it was supposed to come out last October, and so it, they pushed it back to March. Um, and from what I have, the only pieces I've seen written on this have been positive, and that apparently it was more people enjoyed it just like the first one and that the assumption is there will be a third revival season at some point in time so this could be something to do every year or so with probably a completely different cast and you know if that's the way they decide to do it even if the first ca- this first cast was really good i really like this first cast of, of carnival I of love doom this cast but uh, if if they cho- if they choose to do a different cast and make it more of a a vignette style thing I'm okay with that. Um, I mean, not a vignette yeah. style I, I, thing. I will but say, I, uh, looking at the episode titles, um, they they all have the tale of blank. So there there could be I, they could they could be doing a, ver- a variety of different things, or maybe each person has a small story in each 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 piece. It's hard to say. It, it looks um, like they may be telling multiple smaller stories that tie into a major story. Yeah. So um, I, I I almost put this on the list uh, for, the, for this one, but I, I really wanted to talk about the 2019 one because I hadn't seen the 2021. And this cast is is so stellar. Yes. And I, I, I feel like you don't often it's just like with night books and maybe it's something we're going to see more often. But previously, we hadn't seen one. A lot of kids this age being represented by kids this age. I feel like it had been since the old school Nickelodeon that we had seen this on this scale and also they're being written by someone who kind of understands that age group a little bit. Yeah. And, and so these kids come off a lot more authentic than 
uh, and I hate to say it, but as someone in a Goosebumps story. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right about that. I, I agree with that. This this feels very much like it is written in 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 the same way that Nightbooks was. It's written lovingly for a demographic and not yes. attempting to fruitlessly appeal to that demographic. I, I agree completely. If, if that if that particular phrasing makes sense. So no, no, I, it absolutely makes sense. Uh, so with that, we we now have the next two episodes basically being uh, basically being the rest of the story. And the story plays out much like you'd imagine. They they go to the carnival. Bad things happen to the carnival. They have to take down Mr. Top Hat. I don't want to focus too much on that story, mostly because this is three 45 minute episodes. We could spend the next hour talking beat by beat for the story. Uh, Miles, I, I, I just I just <laughs> I just I just want to know what moments you had that stuck out as as being really good, really bad, really weird, because uh, I can think so, of uh, I can think of a few that are are really really interesting and, and and things that that when you're looking at horror like and specifically ones that that kind of look at horror from a from a more youth perspective because again this story is written for a youth perspective it's not the deepest story you're going to find the, oh no things, i mean this this, things, this 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 knows what it is the adult telling the story knows what it is but they're handing it up because they know the audience will appreciate it like when miss top hat says it didn't cost you money like there's a Rick and Morty episode specifically that uses the same trope, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so what, what stood out to you at, about the carnival, about the characters, uh, any, so, any notable scenes, uh, anything that, anything oh, that, that spooked you, creeped you out? I, I, I do want to talk about a, an actual criticism I do have with, I, I have very, very few, but I have a real, and I get, I get why it was to move the story along, but it never makes sense that the Midnight Society is suspicious of Rachel from the get-go. Correct. I it, agree with it, that. It irritates me. And then later, when uh, when Hideo gets kind of uh, basically taken by the, the circus, she immediately blames Rachel. And again, that one I can almost forgive because it's grief, it's lashing out. But uh, that, that, it's I, totally I was going to say, I, I in that moment, I, I did... Because she already had it in her mind that she was blaming Rachel. And then that is just the natural thing. I've seen that right. happen to people in real life when they're when they're grieving about stuff like that actually I made more sense than them blaming her for everything in the first place. I thought they were going to I thought they were going to try to say that she made up. She she took the story that really happened and tried to pass it off as her own. That's where I thought that plot point was going. But that's and not it knows all. you're thinking that. <laughs> but as soon as as soon as Graham starts saying it has no social media presence, it's not on Google. Like. Like they clearly know there's no way she could have known about this. And I, I like that this constantly plays with Rachel's fears about being ostracized and alone. And and so the reason I, I, I understand why there is the tension of her not being part of the Midnight Society, because for her, it's this, oh, my God, I finally found a place where I belong and there's always that risk of losing that. I think they I think they could have found a different way to approach that, but I understand why they were delivering that story to to this demographic. Yeah. And and luckily they chose to know that that these kids would be googling things and even after they googled someone says, "What about the what about older print 
print media and blah 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 and uh you find out akiko is has gone to the microfiche in the library for the entire lunch break looking for stuff which these kids aren't stupid i love it which the only thing that stuck out to me is like it would take more than a lunch break to go through decades of microfiche i I, I thought the same thing but I'm, i'm fine with it now as far as um super like fun moments there is a specific line and you quoted it too that is the standout of the entire miniseries so we should set this we should set this this line up um so they they realize that they have to follow the the carnival of doom to different places because it disappears and they find out that it's going to be in idaho and so they they realize they need to to get to idaho and akiko uh, convinces her brother and in kind of a cool way uh, that that we could get into uh, later on uh, to but but convinces her police officer brother to to take them there and they stop at this rest stop on the way uh, so he can go to use the bathroom and while he's in there one of the more frightening things that happens in this series happens uh, where all dude the, is all the creepy crawlies dude is covered in scorpions uh, until he mm. disappears. I, uh, that is uh, I don't call that scary. I just call it unsettling. Um, but I thought about you when that happened, because I know you're not a big fan of of those kind of bugs. I do not like eight legged creatures. No, that is true. Uh, spider scorpions, um, ticks. Uh, not, not a fan of, of any of the, the eight leggeds, uh, but anyway, uh, but because of that, they still have to, they still have to, to get to Idaho to solve the mystery, but the only person who has a, <laughs> who has a, dra- a, learner's, permit. a learner's permit is Graham, <laughs> not <even> a license, <laughs> not a license, a learner's permit is Graham, which is funny because they said middle school, but that would mean he'd have to be at least 15. I, th- I think they're more kind of the junior. Well, some jun- some early junior high is middle school, so I I can I can forgive that. Yeah, but anyway, so so he's in the car and he's freaking out about driving. He's freaking out about about the brother disappearing, and uh, and <laughs> he's driving extremely slowly. And then all of a sudden, in the moment, he's like, "Can you imagine how many people have touched the steering wheel?" And to which Louise responds. You have more. You have uh, you have more to be worried about than this than the germs on the steering wheel. To which he just replies, "I could freak out about multiple things at once. I contain multitudes." <laughs> uh, no, that that's not the moment that happens. That's when he's on the Ferris wheel. Oh, you're right. That is when he's on the Ferris wheel. What what? A, oh man, I, I think you're talking that. about the let's do crimes moment. No, let's do crimes is when they're doing the Ocean's Eleven. Uh, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so the the, the scene, uh, which that moment is great too. But there's a scene where I can't believe I've messed that moment up. I'm Louise sorry. Louise and Graham are on the Ferris wheel, and Graham's freaking out about the height, and Louise is trying to calm him down, just saying it's not a big deal. Yep, that's it. It's, that's it's it. Fine. And then the power goes out, and they're on the very top of the Ferris wheel. And things start happening and Louis starts berating him for focusing on one thing as well as germs. <laughs> and that's when he says, I can freak out about multiple things at once. I contain multitudes. And it's such a hilariously dramatic line. And it's delivered so well. It's I mean, I was blown away by how how good Jeremy Ray Taylor was and delivery of a line that if you didn't hit it just right it would come off as too goofy yes 100 um th- this kid by the way uh uh 
Taylor, who plays uh, Jeremy Ray Taylor, is that his name? Uh, yes. Who, who plays uh, Graham. Uh, he you might also know him as uh, he was what Ben in it. Ben Hanscom in it. And uh, he's in Goosebumps 2. Yeah. So he's got he's got a little uh, got, got a few little uh, youth horror yeah. things in his in his camp. Uh, a scene that I really appreciated, despite feeling a little called out by is when Akiko and and Graham are arguing about horror, about alien, about aliens specifically. Because she says it's not horror, it's sci fi. Well, it still scared me. Yeah, it can be scary, but it doesn't. But that doesn't make it horror. <laughs> well, but, but see, like for kids who love horror, these are the kind of conversations they have. And I love they constantly have. And it's not just this kind of. And not, not to pick on Seth MacFarlane, who I very much uh, like and respect in a lot of lot of ways, but it's not this kind of drop reference, drop reference, drop reference. They are having conversations that people who are fans of things have. And and that that science fiction conversation is is, is definitely one that's been had many times. And mostly because I, I mean, can I consider Alien, which is a movie that I have watched repeatedly, which is very scary. One of my favorite horror movies and probably my favorite horror movie only to be uh, chastised by a child that it's not really a horror <laughs> movie. It's like. All right. Now, so, the funny thing about I mean, and I love I love that he makes these complicated kids because, you know, Kiko's whole thing is that she's a rebel, but she also very much believes in the rules of the genre. So you couldn't say <laughs> to her, well, without, it's both sci fi and horror with, you know? without rules. There is anarchy. <laughs> yeah. I, so good. I mean, the writing is so good. Um, and I, I, I definitely loved that. There are some things where I'm like, what kid has seen fire in the sky? Like that's such a deep cut. That is such a deep cut. Um, Fire the Sky is a movie from I think 1993. It's about alien abductions. It was a TV and, movie, I want to say. Was it? I think it was theatrical. I, I can't remember. I'm almost positive it was theatrical because I wanted to see it. Yes, it was theatrical. Okay, maybe um, I only saw it on TV. And it, it was known for uh, getting good reviews and being fairly scary. Um, but I was just kind of that was one reference that I was taken aback by. Uh, but I do want to talk about Gavin's dad, because that scene is one of the leads to one of the funniest little interactions between uh, Rachel and her mom. Yeah. So we've mentioned Gavin. Uh, he is the 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 hunky boy, uh, to use the parlance of the of the genre, uh, who <laughs> who lives next door to <laughs> Rachel. And uh and, and as part of this, so we've mentioned how the, the carnival of, of doom uh, basically abducts people and then they kind of vanish from from the world. It happened to and a I car- don't think they ever properly suss out uh, why. Because uh, something about their suffering gives him his extended life. Oh, OK, OK. I must have I must have uh, missed that because I, I I remember it ended and I'm like, they ever say why? <laughs> yeah, because there are other members of the carnival that just seem to be working there and are perfectly happy to work there. There's some things about yeah. the carnival that don't make a lot of sense to me, but we'll we'll worry about that later. So so Gavin, as part of this, uh, when they when they try to infiltrate the carnival to find Adam, who is the kid who disappeared at the beginning, Gavin ends up getting abducted. Two, 
And mm-hmm. the next morning, uh, Gavin has said that he wants to uh, to to walk Rachel to school because they live next door to each other. And uh, instead, there's a knock at the door and it's Gavin's dad played by one of the handsomest people in, in the history of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I looked at this person and, and I thought to myself, man, I got to watch the credits. Who is this guy? He looks so familiar. He's so handsome. It it can't be who I think it is. It cannot be this individual that is in this movie for four seconds. It cannot be. It is impossible, Miles. <laughs> and yet, who plays Gavin's dad, Miles? Superman himself, Brandon Ralph. Brandon Ralph with a long hair look that he is pulling off. Oh, he is 100% pulling it off. He is one spicy meatball, as they would say Um, that I I was so shocked because he's just in that scene and then he's gone and he never comes back. (laughs) So I. um, I was kind of curious about that, and I I looked back and apparently in around like 2010, Brandon Ralph did a short film with Mary Elizabeth Elizabeth Winstead um, called Cost of Living. That was directed by Ben David Grabitsky. Oh, well, so I, I'm guessing they are our buddies. And because I, I like the, the way he appears, it's it is impossible. It is absolutely impossible that Nickelodeon just like randomly reached out to Brandon La- Ralph and he needed a gig because no, uh, he was still on Arrow at the time the, or, the, or uh, Legends. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow the only thing I can think of that happened is that they were filming this in Vancouver where they filmed all exactly. of the, all of those stuff and they were like oh we need the guy who was going to play this this hot dad dropped out Brandon can you do this it'll take 20 minutes and it's like oh, yeah I'm, I don't even know if it went that far I bet I bet he said hey it would you like to be a, a walk on in Are You Afraid of the Dark for a quick little moment? You play the hot dad. And I'm sure Brandon Routh was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Because he's apparently the nicest guy in the world. I, I, I am very happy to be hot professionally. Yes, thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, and it, <laughs> honestly, like that's a moment for adults just to like, I was so happy to see him. And then Rachel's mom is just like melting. Because <laughs> who wouldn't? Man, who wouldn't? I uh, know. I get that, but like, she's also <laughs> still encouraging her daughter to date Gavin. So it's just like, uh, um, Miss Carpenter, how do you think this is going to work out for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because it's... you know, I that that creates an awkward situation for for your your children. But um, yeah, I. I love that moment. I re- I remember when it happened and I somehow forgotten about that moment. And so when he pops up, even this time, I was like, oh, yeah, Brandon Ralph is here. <laughs> just, it's like, oh, man, his image just popped up on Wikipedia. And it's like, oh, he's so handsome. What are you going to do anyway? Um, yeah, that is such a moment and it's such a throwaway, but it's so iconic because it stands out in your mind. Because if that had been literally any other human being other than Brandon Routh, we would not even be talking about it. Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, that that is a, that for, is a nailed cameo right there. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> And it's a proper cameo. It's not something that's just like highlighting the fact that this person is here, because a lot of times, um, even though it was done overtly on purpose, it reminds me of Jay and Silent Bob, where the big arrow says, look, kids, it's Mark Hamill. <laughs> like, that's how a lot of cameos 
feel like these days. And so I I was really happy that it's just Brandon Ralph being handsome professionally and <laughs> just yeah, lighten up the screen as as you do. And as far as the circus goes, I thought that they did a great job making it scary for the demographic, making it something that is not done in any way that I would feel be condescending. Because a lot of times, uh, it's something we touched on last week with a lot of the Disney output. It's cheapened so that it takes away the scare factor. And I feel like the attempt to be at least a little genuinely scary for the demographic was there. So I, 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 you're, you're recontextualizing this in a way that is changing my opinion of this a little bit, because when, when they are at the park, when, when they are scary times uh, at the scary place, some pretty scary things happen. They're in a tunnel of love and they're getting grabbed by zombies. They're in a, a Ferris wheel that is literally coming apart at the seams uh, that is mm-hmm. falling apart. They, they are being chased by by these these menacing clowns and all of this stuff is happening. And then as we get forward, the rugs pulled out a little bit in that the 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 zombies uh, uh suddenly fly backwards and you can see that they have like light leds on their necks so it's, oh these are animatronics these are robots this was supposed to happen oh the ferris wheel just came back together and the power came back on that was supposed to happen oh the these clowns are security that are mad at akiko for filming inside the the carnival <laughs> that was that supposed was to happen played, that was such a great humorous beat that was played so well, especially when they're when they're hiding in the tent and the person wearing all black on one half and all white on the other half emerges from behind the, from from the, the tent. It worked. But it's one of those things where I liked that when it happened. But I also dislike that there's still something supernatural about it. Like it's all part of the show, except for the very specific thing that isn't part of the show that we're <laughs> not talking about. Like it's a weird there's 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 something that doesn't there's two puzzle pieces that don't quite fit for that for me. Um, it's a balancing act when you do the the kind of the, especially the circus story. The circus story is always tough, especially the traveling circus story. Um, and you inevitably always kind of tip your hat to something with Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury, um, either the the actual book or the the Disney film itself. Um, and I I like that they did things that, on one hand, kind of felt real, but also put the show into place because the the magic of the show is just the show itself is magic it's not that there are actual zombies or so everything is going to fix itself at some point and because um mr Toppett says you can control everything if you have the staff so everything kind of you know it's all part of the plan and i i kind of like that um just just personally the way this story goes, because if you veer too far into the kind of occult supernatural stuff, you get into areas that are going to upset parents. But if it's just, hey, you know, we kind of had your typical kind of crossroads. I sold this soul for, you know, a chance to do this thing, but it came with a price. 
you can tell that story. Yeah, and I love that, that you say that that you don't want anything with the occult, but this this literally has someone like, selling his soul to the devil. <laughs> so here's the thing: is I think that is okay when you're dealing with genre trope. You know, they're not getting hyper into it. They literally they don't even show the stranger. The, like, the the other side of that is that it's the bad guy that does that. It's not the good guys that do that. That's where you take man. <laughs> what? So, or Spider-Man. <laughs> so yeah, it's been 15 years and I'm still bitter about that. Oh, you're talking about uh, one more day or whatever it was. Yes. Uh, yeah. But, but like, yeah, I think about the, the Harry Potter thing, the witches and, wiz and wizards are the good guys in that. So it's a little different when you're talking about people being upset about it. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, no, I, I just meant that they don't they don't veer too far like that. I mean, yes, you can say, oh, well, he sold his soul to the devil. And that's a blanket thing. It's a it's an easy to understand trope. You don't have to explain any more than that to anybody. And almost anybody has a reference point for that. I don't think especially like you said, it's the bad guy and they've got to figure out how to uproot the bad guy. I, I think it's okay. They they don't get too deep into any other, you know, kind of supernatural occultism. And not that I would personally have a problem with that, but I know that they've got to walk a fine line for Nickelodeon. Yeah. And uh, so, I think they do a good job of that. Uh so so last thing that I have to say about this, Miles, um, and then uh oh, I think we can start wrapping up because we're getting to be about at that hour. Um this movie continues a trope that I I uh I don't know how to feel about uh, never trust the one-armed man. I think that is a, a negative stereotype that we need to, <laughs> that we need to move beyond. Um, I actually liked how they played with that. I did too. Because, I, 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 because I, it's I, a double cross. Cause it's a double cross <laughs> because the, the thing that got me is like, Oh, he's helping them now. Why is he helping them? He has no reason to be helping them. Why are they trusting him so much? Oh, they should not have been trusting him. <laughs> and that was a good, fun little thing, because, of course, if someone when you're that age, if someone that seems like they're in a position of authority comes with answers that you are seeking and claims a lot of things in a charismatic way, you're more likely to believe that. And they definitely fell right for it which was which was a good uh, a good take. I liked I liked how that ended up happening, even if I don't like the trope that it represents um, Fair, But uh, but yeah, uh, la last thing I will say, and I, this is just a, a fun thing when when they're at the very end of the movie and their midnight society is reformed, made me so happy. And uh, it is now Gavin's turn to tell a story and he he throws the 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 stuff on the flames and it's the tale of the ghastly grinner, which is one of the classic the return of the ghastly. Oh, grinner. The return of the ghastly grinner. I'm the sorry. Turn. Yeah. Which is uh, the ghastly grinner was one of the original. Uh, Are you afraid of the dark shorts? Yes, he is one of the very popular monsters uh, from Are You Afraid of the Dark? And uh, one of the more memorable, scary ones. He was definitely he terrified many children. And I, I was I was glad to hear that reference. Uh, that was one that I I kept looking for some sort of, you know, reference to the show. I, I mean, I know he had passed away, but I was really, really hoping that. Um, uh, oh, gosh, Zebo, uh, Aaron, Aaron Tager, who who passed away in 2019, oh. um, who played Dr. Vink with a va, va, va. You know, he was always in those episodes. You also had. Um, 
uh, Zebo the Clown. Zebo the Clown, and, it does get a reference in one of the background moments yes. in the carnival. Um, and then Sardo, the guy who owned the magic shop, uh, who popped up in many, many uh, episodes. Uh, well, so, but, Miles, I have to tell you, because I know I don't know if you've seen that. Do you know that he features heavily in 2021's Curse of the Shadows? No. I, again, I haven't seen it yet, so I I I did not know that. So I'm I'm happy to know that. So with that said, as we kind of as we wrap back around to uh probably saying a lot of the stuff that we said at the beginning of this episode, when it comes to horror for children, where does this rank for you when when of of either the things that we've talked about or the the concept as a whole? Kind of final this, thoughts. This honestly ranks pretty high. I mean, I have part of it is the fact that I have long wanted this particular franchise to have a budget and to have the space to tell a well-developed story. And I think this does that. Um, I'm going to stop shy of calling it God-tier kids horror, but I think for that tween demographic, that's so hard to get right because you, with that demographic, you know, everyone that age is always wanting to kind of pretend they're older. And so you have to treat them with a, a little less of a kid's glove than you would a Y7 group, yeah. which is why I would put Are You Afraid of the Dark higher than, higher than Goosebumps, but it's got to be lower than something like, you know, Fear Street or a Christopher Pike book. So it's, it's such a razor's wire to cross. And the fact that this show, for the most part, gets it so right and it plays just like a good movie, this ranks really, really highly for me. I mean, it's, it's up there in it mostly because it respects its audience and it respects the genre that it's writing for. And it's it's written from a perspective that, like last last week, understand what it's like to be kind of an outsider kid and tapping into those things about kids wanting to find a place and and kids wanting to be heard and, you know, wanting the freedom to do their own thing. The, all these themes take place in this miniseries and are done very well. So. I, I appreciate this show for giving all of the all of the members of the Midnight Society a lot of agency. I wish they had time to go into more of the characters. Some characters, you know, got less time than others, but it also didn't overstay its welcome welcome at, at three episodes. It gets in and gets out and I think tells a fantastic kids horror story. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think this much like Nightbooks, feels genuine. Uh, and, and, and I, 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 that's such a difficult thing to define, but it, it, I know things like this, especially when it's a long time favorite thing could feel very much like a cash, cash grab and, mm-hmm. and, a, and, and, a, a, you know, and a lot of people were worried about that, lot, when but this, came out. this one, and, and I think honestly, I would, if I had a certain, certain group, I would show them this before I would show them something like Nightbooks because <laughs> Nightbooks was legitimately scary to me, a grown man uh, in certain scenes. And there wasn't as much of that that I was scared by in this, but I could definitely see those things being scared. And that's that's just a dis- different demographic. It is Nickelodeon that we're talking about here. Night Nightbooks is not going to air on Nickelodeon. Uh, but- it's so funny that you said that, Drew, because um, the fact that we had... Um, Renier from Horror for Kids last week was the reason I chose Nightbooks. Nightbooks of actually probably would have, we would have still done Are You Afraid of the Dark this week. 
Nightbooks would have been probably the second to last because I wanted to kind of skew this a little bit older as we went mm. because we are going to take a step back a little bit next week um, and do something a little bit lighter. Oh, I like the sound of that. We are going to be switching gears. Last year, we we watched one animated film. We are going to be watching an animated film for next week. And that is 2006's Monster House. Oh, written by Dan Harmon. <laughs> yes, directed by Gil Keenan, uh, written by Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub and Pamela Petier. Uh, this is a very fun computer animated uh, supernatural comedy or supernatural horror comedy that I think completely does exactly what I wanted it to do. This would have been the first of the month had we not had a, a guest that I wanted to go over a specific movie with. Um, this cues a little bit younger than Are You For The Dark, but also treats its characters and subject matter very seriously and is largely the reason why we probably have community today. Yeah, I remember and, and Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah, and, and and everything else that Harmon is uh, is responsible for. I remember him bragging about Monster House fairly often on the Harmon Town podcast. <laughs> That'll be fun uh, to get so, into. So have you have you have you seen Harmon uh, Harmon Town? Have you seen Monster I have, House? Before? I have not seen Monster House. No, because again, it, it it always felt like it was skewed to younger, and you know. Right. Um, it came I'm out not, when you were in college. And yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so, Miles, where can we find that? That is going to be on Netflix. This one's going to be oh. super, super simple. Uh, almost everything we watch this month is on Netflix. It, I think, except for maybe the last thing we do, um, which will also be on a major streaming service. So, that shouldn't be an issue. All right. Well, that's it for today, gang. Thank you guys for hanging out with us, talking about 2019's Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, the the uh, Carnival of Doom. I have to keep looking up the subtitle because they don't actually say the subtitle in the <laughs> in the, no, the story for the dark. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, we're going to be rolling on with Monster House next week. I got to say it one time. I really loved 2019's Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I'm excited to, to take a step back into uh to monster house because this it's been a long time since i've seen it and i used to i remember it being very very good so i'm i'm curious to uh to look back on it yeah so with that said that's where we're going to wrap things up today if you would like to reach out to us you can find us at the you can tweet to us at the more you nerd and go to facebook.com slash the more you nerd and you can email us the more you nerd at gmail.com that's the more you nerd at gmail.com if you would like some dope yeah, share some Halloween memories. Share some share some costumes if you're doing costumes this year, because uh, because parties are going to start happening uh, this year and trick or treating is going to be a thing again because it's outside. Um, uh, you can also find some dope swag at the the dot com, which uh, is a very cool. So check that out. And uh, about a month ago, you guys might have noticed that we disappeared from Spotify and had some other issues. Those should be sorted now. We had we re- an update happened in the background to something we were using that messed up the date on some things, so stuff was not posting properly in some places. That has been corrected. That should be good now, but please... Let us know if it's not. Uh, I don't know how you would, because if it's not posting for you, you may not ever hear this, but 
We shall see. Uh, so in the meantime, Miles, we're going to end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd, nerd. out. out.